marriage is what brings us together today. Princess Bride, anybody? Do I need a full-blown mouth as what brings us together? No? So if you've never seen that movie, you just think I had a stroke. I did not. I'm fine. Um, Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies. I'm secure enough in my manhood to say that I like that movie. It's got it all. Uh, and I've always wanted to say that, but that's actually the introduction. Marriage is what brings us together today. That's what we're going to be discussing as we continue to move through uh, the Ten Commandments, our sermon series called Ten Talks. So I invite you to grab your Bible this morning. We're going to jump right in. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we say every week, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be uh, our gift to you. But we're going to hold up our Bibles and say our creed together before we jump in together. So let's say it with some conviction this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, it's page 57, if you're using one of those Bibles. From the seat in front of you, this is the, the part of the Ten Commandments where it feels like we came over a roller coaster, uh, roller coaster hill and we're picking up speed, right? It turns into little tweets or little bumper stickers of thought, rapid fire. And uh, the first kind of rapid fire, one of those uh, Lance dealt with last week uh, while we were out of town, you shall not murder. And this morning we're at another one that's pretty brief and gets right to the point. And uh, this morning we're going to look at verse number 14 for commandment number 7. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. So let me just say, I know the kids are in here today, and so we're going to deal with this uh, in a G-rated version uh, as we're working through this. Uh, the, the, the seventh commandment that we focus on this morning, you shall not commit adultery. And the first thing I want to say that's the foundation for everything else I'm going to say this morning seems so simplistic that it's almost awkward to share it. Like this almost seems too simple to put on a screen or to ask you to write down if you're a note taker. But, but as simple as this is, this is the, the necessary profound foundation for us to possibly understand the heart and mind of God if we're going to move forward in this. Ready? Here's the deep thought of the day. Marriage is a big deal to God. Marriage is a big deal to the one who created such a thing as marriage. It's really important to him. And again, that sounds so simplistic, but that is a crucial understanding for the people of God. If we're going to understand the mind and heart of God about marriage, we have to first understand the priority that it holds in the heart and mind of our God, that he has placed something in marriage that's bigger than marriage. And because we are his image bearers, because as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we, we bear the image of God, I believe we inherently get that. I believe we inherently understand that marriage is a big deal. It's the reason that we love love stories. It's the reason that the greatest novels that have ever sold and the biggest blockbuster hits that have ever topped the box office had in, in the heart of them this beautiful love story. I, I believe we're drawn to that because we're creating the image of the God who designed this thing. So in a, in a home with 
myself and three sons, my wife very seldom has the remote control in her authority. It's just how it works, right? Very seldom are we watching Cupcake Wars or whatever, and I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Like, that's, that's, how, that's how not HGTV Food Channel, I don't even know. Like, we don't even go there. So most of the time on our television, it's like superhero stuff or something that she thinks is way too violent and about war, um, or it's cartoons, you know, SpongeBob or something. Don't judge us. Like, we're watching stuff that she's like, I have no interest in this, right? And so a couple weeks ago, it was Friday night, we were having family movie night, and and I don't remember how it happened, but somehow it became the declared law in our home, mom gets to pick the movie tonight. Tonight, for once, she doesn't have to suffer through our movie choice, she gets to pick. And we've kind of been on a kick lately of introducing our boys to movies that we watched, like when we were dating or, or first married or whatever, and so she picked the movie Runaway Bride. I don't know if you remember this. We hadn't seen it in forever. Uh, Richard Gere and, and Julia Roberts, um, and, and they're like, what's the deal with how big her mouth is? We don't even understand. They'd never seen a movie. They're in it. Actually, I didn't say that. That was me. Um, so we're, we're watching this movie, and, and they're like, this, this is the dumbest plot I've ever seen. Like, my kids who watch superhero movies about aliens from outer space are like, this plot is terrible. <laughs> right? Like, what, what is this story? And, and, and so if you haven't seen it, or if you're like me and it had been so long, I had forgotten where the story goes. So, like, they don't get together towards the end. Like, they split up. He goes back to New York, and she stays in the small town, whatever. And, and of course, they get together at the end because it's a chick flick, and they all have happy endings. There is no spoiler alert. <laughs> that, that's the story. That's how they all end. But we're watching the movie, and, and when they kind of split up, right? When it looks like the movie's going to end and they're not together, my boys who've been like, this movie's so dumb, are like, oh, no, like, they got to get together, man. They're like cheering on the couple, like, go get her, Greer, you know, like, what, what are we doing here? And, and it was so funny when they finally got together and they're like, oh, thank goodness, if we would have watched this movie and they didn't get together at the end, we want our money back. It's like, you didn't pay for this. But here's the deal. I think that thing in them that was cheering for the love story is part of the image of God that we bear. God has placed that in us because marriage is a big deal to God. That, that's this thing that was established in creation from the beginning. And the reason that I think we have that draw in us or that, that longing in us for the happy ending is because marriage is actually way bigger than marriage. Marriage is a portrait of something much greater Marriage is really an optical illusion. You ever look at those optical illusions and you're like, what is that supposed to be? Ooh, that. And here's the thing. When you look at marriage, it looks like, oh, that's just supposed to be a man and a woman trying to figure life out together and raise kids without killing each other and going broke. You know, that, that's, that's what it looks like. But the way for an optical illusion to make sense is you've got to get just the right perspective. And the perspective through which marriage makes sense, through which the illusion is revealed, is the Word of God. Matter of fact, probably the the clearest picture of that, and if if you've been around the church for any time, you know some of the texts that we're probably going to look at today. They are foundational for understanding what the illusion reveals now, the clearest teaching is by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5. In there, the Apostle Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2, which we'll look at in a few minutes. So we won't park much there. But he quotes from Genesis 2, Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's the language of covenant there. And only after you've left father and mother and held fast to your wife, only when you've entered into that covenant language, that covenant picture, then the two shall become one flesh. So he quotes that from Genesis chapter 2, and then the Apostle Paul says this, this mystery is profound. The optical illusion in this thing God has established called marriage is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, when people see a couple fighting for each other and investing in their marriage and living out grace with one another, you know what they see? They see the greatest love story that's ever been told about a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. They see the the true love story of God to humankind. When we live out a marriage filled with grace, we reveal the optical illusion of God's love for his people. The reason we're so drawn to this is because God has created inside of marriage a portrait of something much greater. And only when we understand that can we begin to understand why purity is such a big deal to God. Only when we understand that marriage is a big deal to God can we understand why purity is such a big deal to God. And another way that that's revealed or, or that the mystery is explained is, is another well-known text about marriage, and that's Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 uses a crucial word here, let marriage be held in honor. Everybody say the word honor. Oh, that's such an important word. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the, the, the dividing line or the transitional line in the Ten Commandments, that the, the first four deal with our relationship with God and the final six deal with our relationship with one another. And the first word of the first commandment that has to do with each other is the word honor. Honor your father and your mother. And what we said that week and what I'll say again this morning is when we understand what it is to honor another human being, all the rest of these relational commands fall into line. If I am walking in honor towards people who bear the image of God, I will honor my parents. If I'm walking in honor, I won't take a human life apart from necessity and I'll do so with great grief, as Lance preached about last week. And if I walk in honor, I will not commit adultery. If I honor my spouse, I wouldn't bring that dishonor on her. If I honored the other person, perhaps, who's offering that temptation, I wouldn't sin against them. That would dishonor them. Wouldn't sin against our children. Wouldn't sin against our our church body because that's the kind of sin that, that affects all of us. If we understand the concept of honor, it really does align this whole thing that marriage would be held in honor among all. That the marriage bed would be undefiled because there is judgment for this kind of sin. And part of the reason this is such a big deal to God, part of the reason that marriage is a big deal to God is that's what we're all headed to. As his people, we all wait for that soon coming day that's pictured in Revelation chapter 19, where we will, as the bride of Christ, attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. That the church will be as a a bride adorned in white. 
marriage is a big deal to God. We can't escape that. He's, he's placed in the DNA of the thing a great value and a great importance. Here's why that's such an important foundation. Because marriage is a big deal to God, it's under attack. Because marriage is a big deal to God, it is under attack. By the way, everything that's a big deal to God is under attack. And, and many of us are just going through life trying to survive our marriages, trying to make it from one day to the next. And we're, we're just kind of limping through life, totally unaware of the fact that we're in the middle of a battle for our marriages. God's glory is at stake. The mystery of Christ and his church is at stake here. That we're in the midst of warfare in this thing. Not with each other, against an outside enemy. We're in a battle. Everything that God exalts, the enemy opposes. Everything that, that God holds in esteem, the enemy seeks to corrupt and pollute. Everything that is important to God has a target on its back from a very real enemy. And marriage is no different. It's a big deal to God. Therefore, it's under attack. That's why God had to give us a command about it. Because <laughs> it's a battle. That's why he had to remind us what we find in the Bible is the very first wedding is immediately followed by a war. Do you realize in the Genesis narrative, Satan never shows up on the scene until after the wedding ceremony? Some of you were like, I know, I married and he became the devil. No, that's not what I mean. There was no warfare until after there was a wedding. We enter into this thing and the enemy understands what's at stake. He understands the battle. That's why we go from wedding to war. That's why God placed it in his top ten list is he knows there's a battle and he knows how much harm can come in this conflict. Remember again, this is not an angry God dropping light bolts of commands on his people. This is a loving father sitting his children down and saying, I want what's best for you. I want to keep you from the harm that comes when this sin infests a marriage. I want to keep you from the heartbreak. I want to keep you from the shame. I want to keep you from the regrets. I want to keep you from these failures because I want what's better for you because you're my children and I love you. This isn't God restricting us. This is God elevating what's important to him. I read recently from someone, and I don't recall who, but I read this quote. All sin is equally damning, but not all sin is equally devastating. All sin is equally damning, but not all sin is equally devastating. There is something particularly devastating, harmful, destructive, heartbreaking about this kind of sin. And your father loves you so much that he wants to guard you from that. He wants to protect you from this battle. What I believe with all of my heart today is flourishing marriages thriving marriages, whole marriages are unnatural. Flourishing, thriving marriages 
are supernatural. Thank God we serve the God of the supernatural. So we're not left to our own in this. Figure out how to make your marriage thrive. I don't know how to do that. But we serve with a God who defeats death itself. He's the God of the resurrection. He can invest life in the hardest places. He can resurrect life in the, the most difficult places. And God's saying, I want your marriage to not just survive. I want it to flourish. I believe that's supernatural. God's revealed through his spirit and through his word the path for us to walk towards that kind of wholeness. It's why a few years ago, I think we're three years in now to, to trying to, to offer a, a parenting workshop every fall and a marriage workshop every spring. We've done so at significant investment. We, we charge a little bit to help with the food, but it doesn't cover the cost of the guest speakers and all that. And, and here's, why, here's why we started doing this. That actually, the, the vision for this, these workshops, one in the fall, one in the spring, one for parenting, one on marriage. You, you know where the vision came for that? I took, a, I took a break from ministry in 2014 um, after our transition was just beginning at a place of hope. I wasn't in a great place between the years. And, and, and in that time alone with the Lord for a couple weeks, something became incredibly clear to me. This ministry cannot thrive with unhealthy homes. I, I want to see... <laughs> I want to see with all of my heart the power of God rest on this ministry. But I don't think that happens because of the Sunday morning experience. That really is driven by what's happening in your home. And I don't live there. there there's such a powerlessness in that. There's such a confronting of any control issues there of I'm actually powerless over what I desire most for God to use me to do in life. And so we offer these opportunities just as resources for you because we believe that a thriving marriage isn't natural. <laughs> it's supernatural. And so we want to get as many exposures to God's truth. So March 21st, we have uh, another marriage workshop coming. Uh, Rob and Jessica Rosenbaum are coming in. They're going to be leading the workshop that day. Incredibly godly uh, couple, awesome, awesome friends of ours. And they're just going to pour into us for that morning. We encourage you, you can sign up on the app or you can... Uh, click online to be able to, to, to sign up for that. We just encourage you that for you. We, we, we don't do that for us. <laughs> we do that to be a resource because we believe God wants our marriages to thrive. Marriage is a big deal to God. Because it's a big deal to God, it's under attack. And so we want to join in the fight. Let, let me share this for just a second. And, and those of you who've been around church for a while, you know the Genesis chapter 2 story. If, if you're new to this or if you need a refresher, the theme of Genesis chapter 1, the theme of the in the beginning God created in the heavens and the earth, the theme in that narrative is, and God saw that it was good. The, the beauty of, of the Genesis moment is the universe unstained, whole, no sin had defiled anything that existed. It was good. And then in the midst of that, the, the tone changes in Genesis chapter 2 where with nothing evil in the world, God said it was not good. 
How in sinlessness could something not be good? And what God said is it's not good that man should be alone. And God had Adam have every animal pass by him and he named them. Part of the dominion decree of God. He named every animal. And I I think part of that exercise was a lesson for Adam. Number one, to know his role in humanity, that he was the only image bearer. But also so that Adam could realize what wasn't good. Adam had just been formed from the dust of the ground. He didn't know any better. Adam watched every one of these animals walk by and say, man, none of this is like me. None of this bears the image of God like I do. None of this is bone of my bones or flesh of my flesh. And then God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. God took a rib from him and he formed the woman. And then these words in Genesis 2. And God brought her to him. I wonder if we get to like watch a history channel in heaven. (laughs) I wonder if we're going to get to see, like did the angels form a wedding party and walk in, you know, like with their halos. Like, I I don't know. I want to know what that happened. That was the first wedding. The, The father walked his daughter to her groom. Who gives this woman to be married to this man, the creator? (laughs) Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. It is only, it is only in the context of a marriage covenant that two are to become one. There is no other green light Anywhere else in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 2 is so foundational and so formative that God references Genesis chapter 2 five times in the scriptures. I'm going to tell you something, fellas. When Marisa tells me something five times, I listen. Usually by the fourth, I'm like, oh, this must be important. What did I miss? God five times reminds us. That he has a plan of what's best for us. And if God keeps saying that over and over and over again, if God includes it in his top ten list, clearly this is important to him and best for us. Marriage is a big deal to God. Because of that, it's under attack. I want to say this before I move on, and I don't know who this is for, but I just felt compared to compelled to share this this week i personally believe that there are at least three different kinds of adultery i think um when we look at the command to not commit adultery i think we need to have a thorough understanding of what god's trying to protect us from the the first understanding of adultery is is the understanding that i think we all default to and that is to becoming one flesh it's it's physical it's the giving away of our body to someone to whom we do not belong I think we understand that concept of adultery, but there, there's another level of that, and that is what I would call an emotional affair. Adultery of the heart. Not giving away of your body, but giving away of your heart. And, and I would submit to you, in, in my counseling experience, I've seen it be more harmful and damaging to a relationship when the heart is given away than even the body. And, and then there's a third kind of adultery, and that's both physical and emotional, when both the heart and the body have been given away. And I believe God's trying to protect us from all three of those and any other category that we might come up with. 
And I say that because for somebody today, I just believe the warning is to guard your heart, not just your body. Having a best friend at work isn't God's intention. God wants you to guard your heart just as much as he wants you to guard your body. Because he loves you and because he wants what's best for you. Because marriage is a big deal to God. With our final few minutes together, I just want to get super practical for a minute. I want to I want to talk about three different categories and the first category is that of protecting our marriage and I'm going to focus on three areas of of the protecting here I want to challenge you this morning every married couple in the room or soon to be married or hope to be married To fight to protect our marriages let, Let me give three Three ways to protect our marriages right three ways to fight and here's the first one I want to implore with you this morning to fight for intimacy with God. Fight first and foremost for your walk with God. I don't believe that reading your Bible and praying and going to church will automatically protect your marriage, but I don't think your marriage will be protected apart from that. Fight for intimacy with God. See, I believe before we ever would cheat on our spouse, we first will cheat on God. We will drift from Him. And I believe with all of my heart that true, abiding, rich intimacy with God will guard us from false illusions of intimacy with another. Fight for intimacy with God. Remember the first command, no God before me, no other God, no other, not first place on the list, no other gods before me. And the second command, and don't worship any other form of a God. Don't let anything else take uh, my place on the throne of your hearts. And here's the thing. God doesn't mention adultery until commandment number seven, because he knows that if we'll get the first two right, we will never have to get to commandment number seven. This begins with our connection with the living God. And, and, and I say that we have to fight for that. Not that he's playing hard to get. Not that he's hard to find. But that the noise of our lives is so exhausting and overwhelming that we have to fight to hear from him. He's the God who prefers the still small whisper. And we love the loud noises. <laughs> our lives are filled with them. Fight for intimacy with God. The second thing I would say then is fight for purity. Fight to guard our eyes, to guard our minds, to guard our hearts, and to guard our bodies. Fight for purity. We've mentioned this verse a whole lot of times. Job 31. I love this declaration. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Isn't that amazing? I love that language made a covenant and here's the thing in the old testament covenants were a big deal like it's way bigger than a contract with at&t wireless like i'm talking a covenant here with my eyes to look with lust on a young woman it's just such a beautiful picture and that is the that's the heart behind the organization covenant eyes that we we recommend very frequently 
A few times a year, I, I talk about Covenant Eyes from the platform, a web filtering and web accountability software. And the reason I talk about it a lot is because I continue to have people show up in my office who haven't taken that counsel yet and are stuck in bondage to stuff they just can't seem to find their way out of. And so until everybody I know is free, I'm going to keep encouraging you to invite other people to fight with you. Covenant Eyes isn't the only one out there. It's just the one that we use around here. Uh, You can click on our app. It'll go straight to where you can download that software. You can click on our website. We, We have on the homepage of our website where you can get to Covenant Eyes as well. And we're making that resource available to you because we believe it's a fight. We believe it's a battle. In our home, we have covenant eyes on every electronic device that we own. And there are times it's annoying. There are times y'all send me jokes that I can't open. Because covenant eyes is like, no, that's too dirty. Come on, you know who you are. Yeah, it's, it's annoying. It, it, it's a headache. And here's the thing. My kids don't always like that we have those restrictions on. And, and I've had parents say to me, but I don't want to send my kids the message that I don't trust them. And I just want to say from my heart, I love my kids too much to trust them with unfiltered access to the enemy's attack. We've had conversations just recently among leadership here at Temple Christian School of, and I don't say this with any judgment, please don't hear this condemning, hear this as encouraging, but we've been having the conversation of how few of our parents check their kids' phones regularly. And parents, I, I, just, I just challenge you to rise up in the authority that God has given you and watch over the children that he's entrusted to your care. I know they might not like it. They may be like, this isn't fair. And let's just talk about fairness for two seconds. It's your phone, mom and dad. You sign the contract. You make the payment. Look out for them. Fight for them. The things that are happening in our kids' smartphones is the attack of the enemy. It's not neutral. It's not just, oh, kids will be kids. It's an enemy who wants to rob the purity and innocence of our kids. Fight for them. And if it makes them mad, but makes the enemy mad at the same time, you're winning. Good job. You don't need more friends. I said I wasn't being, okay. I love you. Please. You don't need to be buddies with your kids. They need to be fought for. Please know what's going on with their phones. And by the way, it's not just your kids. You might have a buddy who needs just as much accountability, who needs just as much battling and fighting for. And maybe what he needs is for you to take a step first and go, hey, dude, I struggle with the battle for purity. I struggle with the fight. But I've enlisted some people to fight with me, and so let's fight together. Fight for purity. And let me say this. I know I've talked a lot about marriage. Let me say this to those who are single in the room today. The battle for purity isn't just for married people. As a matter of fact, the command to not commit adultery is not just for married people. Because I believe that fornication is an internship for adultery. Not following God's plan before marriage is just dress rehearsal, or un, for adultery. God is calling us today to begin to battle for purity because we belong to him. Fight for intimacy with God and fight for purity. 
And then I would say this. Fight for friendship. For all the married couples in the room, fight for friendship. God's vision for a healthy marriage is, is that you would be friends, that you would be best friends. I'm going to tell you right now, Marisa Reif is my best friend. There's nobody in the world I'd rather hang out with than her. And here's the thing. I'd way rather be with her than any of you. And there's some people I really, really love in this room, like people I would dive in front of a bullet for. She's still my favorite. Somebody asked me last week before we left for this senior trip with our 12th graders from Temple Christian School, they said, so what's your favorite part of the trip? And without missing a beat, I told him, I said, my favorite part of the trip is just having 24 hours a day for seven days with Marisa. And we're just together. Now, we're like in zombie state by day three, but we're together. And then the hardest part is coming back and getting back to real life again. Back on the clock. And I believe that's the heart of God. Well, the best picture we have of of that kind of intimacy in, in marriage is in Song of Solomon chapter 5 where the woman is speaking. There's this back and forth in Song of Solomon of the, the man speaking and the woman speaking. And she says this, He is my lover. He is my friend. God wants us to fight for that in our marriages. And the reason I say fight for that is time will not work for you for friendship in your marriage. Time will make you strangers passing in the hallway. Life will make you just taxi cab drivers or Uber drivers for your kids, just trying to keep up with the bills. We have to fight to truly connect. Fight for friendship. I believe that's the heart of God. So fighting for intimacy with God and fighting for purity and fighting for, uh, for friendship is part of how we protect our marriages. But let me say this. What if we've already begun to fail in this area what is what is you shall not commit adultery mean if we already are going down a path if we're already going down a road what does that mean what does it mean to see our marriages rescued and i would say this what what i've experienced is couples who who we've walked with through these difficult things often they're so ashamed. They want to hide in the shadows and they want Jesus to come hide in the shadows with them and heal them so that they can then step back out into the light. But that's not who God is. Jesus is the light of the world. He doesn't hide in shadows. He does his most glorious work in the light. We've got to step out of the secrets. We've got to step outside the shadows and be honest and be real and be vulnerable with somebody about where we're struggling or where we're failing or what we feel drawn towards so that Jesus can set us free. And the, the threat of that, the vulnerability of that can feel so overwhelming. No, that's going to that's gonna destroy my marriage. And listen, friend, the enemy's already trying to destroy your marriage. Be honest. Find somebody safe that you can talk to. God already knows. You're already found out. Now, notice I said talk to somebody safe. Don't talk to the friend that's got the biggest mouth you know, right? Like don't in, if you invite your buddy to go to coffee so that you can pour your heart out to him and the first thing he does is Instagram a picture of you together 
And then the second thing you see is him going, hey, unspoken prayer request for a friend who's struggling with some really dark stuff. Like, that's not the moment we're looking for here, right? A safe person, a trusted person who will walk with you, who will fight with you. There's no shame and no judgment here, y'all. We all break these commandments. That's why Jesus had to come. Like, you're not the unicorn of, I struggle with lust. Welcome to planet Earth. It's a battle. You're not a weirdo. We've got to fight together. We've got to believe in each other. This is not a, a place of shame. This is not a place of judgment. Interestingly, y'all know I love stats. The, the nerd side of me, 74% of men surveyed said that they would commit adultery if they knew it wouldn't be discovered. 74% of men. Not much less than that, 68% of women said they would have an affair if it wasn't discovered. Let me lovingly just declare over you today, you're discovered. We believe in a God who sees everything, who knows everything. There are no secrets. We've been discovered, and he's the God who pursues us in those darkest moments to rescue us with his grace. You've heard me say many times, we are as sick as our secrets. We're as sick as our secrets, but we're as healthy as our honesty. Find somebody you can open up to, because here is the thing, friends. We serve a God who delights in restoring what's been broken. We serve a God who delights in creating beauty from ashes. We serve a God who loves the sequel. He loves redeeming stories. As a matter of fact, you might would be shocked to know to your left and to your right the things that many of the couples in this room have walked through, people you never would have expected. And the reason you see so much Jesus on them is because they've been broken beyond belief and then experienced grace beyond imagination. That's what our God does. That's what he's in the business of. He is for you. He, he is for you. He is for you. He wants to rescue and redeem and repair. It was interesting. A group of our 12th grade boys at the school this week, they kept asking us, those of us who were the sponsors, Neil and Julie and Maurice and I, they wanted to know what our stories were. When did you meet? How did you get engaged? And by the way, if you ever want to hear a heartbreaking story, ask Neil Childs how he proposed to Julie. If you just want to, like, feel bad for somebody, you'll know how to pray for Julie more effectively. Ask, ask that engagement story. They wanted to hear those stories because when you hear a couple's story, their love story, don't you just feel like you know them better? Well, that's true for us spiritually as well. The love story is this. I was broken I did not deserve to be rescued. I failed. I was unlovable. And God did not spare his own son to rescue me in his grace. <laughs> That's a love story. If you want to get to know me, here's how you can get to know me. The grace of God is overwhelming. It's amazing, and it's everything it promises to be.
And for many of you in this room, that's your love story too. And if you don't know for sure that it's your story, that you've experienced the rescue of grace in your life, we would love nothing more today than to have a conversation with you so that you can experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's the true relationship. It's the mystery revealed. It's why marriage is such a big deal to God. And it's why marriage is under attack. Because God loves people. And he loves you too.